Morning. Morning. Welcome, welcome to Don't Feed the Artists. I'm Hagen. I'm Dave. I'm Adam. And I'm Jackson. And welcome to the LL Cool J concert. Hey, <laughs> we got we nailed we nailed the name this time. That was great. Good job, everybody. Yes. It, it flows. It's like a roller coaster, you know. It's just like a roller coaster. It's a is whitest it, kids you know reference for anyone out there. Is it a cool roller coaster or is it a scarier roller coaster? Yeah, tomato potato. You know what I'm saying? All uh, roller coasters are scary, dude. All roller coasters are scary. Wait, did we just I touch upon? Uh, yeah, Dave, are you scared of uh, thrill rides? I've only been on uh, four of them or three of them. Three. Yeah, we, did, we did. We did three that day. Yeah. Mr. Freeze was terrifying. Oh yeah, that one's like 15 seconds long too. Like yeah. it's very short. It is very. And the scary. line is always stupid long for what it is. Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we hit we hit the top of that one and and Dave I could just hear like when you hit the top like you stop for a second, right? And I just hear Dave just scream like this wasn't fun and then we go right back down. <laughs> yeah, I think I said I think I said, I don't like this at all. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh so for anybody who's listening who doesn't know that one, uh I think so it it's one of the few roller coasters or one of the first roller coasters that did this, but it starts with the immediate like uh, there's no like kind of build up to it. It's immediate. Like so you just shoot out the gate and you shoot out backwards too. Yep. So to anyone who's not used to roller coasters, that's got to be a ball buster. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you do any? Oh wait, I guess there. Yeah, there's like a corkscrew on that one. Yeah. Well. When it goes, it goes now backwards I know now, something. right? Yeah. 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 What it it used to. Yeah. yeah. So you're when when you get to the very top and it stops, you're facing the, the ground, and you just <laughs> yeah. I, I think was, that's it a was lot nighttime. Worse. Yeah. It was nighttime when we did it, so all you could see was a floodlight. Like you're just flying face first towards a floodlight and it was if it was more comfortable like the batman ride it would have been sick but like it was very uncomfortable anyway dave next time you go to a, a theme park or you get uh you know fooled into going to a theme park you don't want to invite me because i'm the type of person who i like these rides but like it's not like a, i have to do everything if i don't feel like it i don't tell like I don't like you know suck it up. I'm just like nah, fuck it. I don't want to do it. So uh, you and I can hang out. Let's um, do it. I'm down. So I got I got some uh, some news up top. Uh, nothing too uh, you know deep and depressing. I tried to keep it light. Uh, here's this first one I opened up. I think Dave may know a little bit better about this one. But uh, Mark Hoppus of Blink 182. If you don't know who he is, uh, he did a bracket for the best Blink-182 song, and the bracket was all of the singles they released. Not every single song they have. It was just their singles. And he claims he did it in, like, two minutes. He didn't, like, there's no regrets on his end. It was very easy. It was, like, breathing to him. And, uh, like, I haven't looked up all the reactions to it, but Blink-182 fans are very upset with his choices. Um, And so... I don't think this is a bad song at all. I like this song, but uh, for anybody who's curious, uh, he listed the song Feeling This as his favorite Blink-182 song. And I think they end most of their uh, shows with that. I, you know, didn't they... I remember reading that they wrote that song separately. Like, they wrote the, the lyrics in different rooms. 
just to, as a writing exercise. And that's what ended up happening on the song. I didn't know that. Um, wasn't there a video attached to that article I sent and you said it was painful, Dave? Oh my goodness, dude. It was the music video for that song. And it's like, Oh, Oh, it's so bad. It's just so cringy. Needless to say, it's an interesting, uh, thing when you see not many art, a lot of artists stray away from this. Uh, but it's very interesting when you see through the artist's eyes of what their preferences of songs are, because Blink-182 is very much one of those bands where like, if you look at their set list, it's almost all, you know, like it's a greatest hits thing and there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, a lot of artists tend to stray away from saying, I don't like that song because a lot of times it ends up being their big song. Uh, You know, very few situations do they sell you like, Oh yeah, no, I fucking hate that song. So I thought it was cool. I'm not very close to Blink-182, so I wasn't upset at all. It was just, uh, it was very funny. Would you all be upset if uh, your favorite band did something similar to this? No, not at all. Uh, it seems pointless. <laughs> it seems it seems like, it. it yeah, I don't know. I mean, like it, I guess it's an interesting thing to think about, but it's not really something that, I don't know. Like I'd be super weirded out if Dave Grohl went on to make a big list of his favorite Foo Fighters songs. Like that's that's weird. Like he he plays all of them all the time. So why do we have to say a favorite? It doesn't really make a difference. And I think people would get really angry when he says that "All My Life" is the best one. That's true. That's very true. Yeah, it made me think. Like I look through our songs this week, all of the songs that we have, all the moniker songs, and I definitely I won't name them, uh, but. I I don't know what my favorite song is because that changes all the time, but I know what our best song is. There's no doubt in my mind what our best song is. I won't name it. Uh, you got to name it. There's no doubt in my mind uh, based off of how I feel about this song. I'll tell you guys after. There's no doubt in my mind based... I think I, think I know what it is. Yeah. Um, and there's no doubt in my mind because people have told me that they think that's our best song. And then I also tend to agree. I'm like, yeah, that's our best song. It may not be my favorite song all the time, but yeah, I think as an artist, uh, that kind of thing changes. Like there are just like our new EP, like uh, when we were recording it and all that kind of stuff, the, there was a song that I was super into. And then throughout the release process and all that stuff and to this day, playing the songs live, I, you know, it changes all the time. I mean, yeah, I, I think we could all agree on that. So yeah, I mean, you you adjust as you adjust as you like. The more you play things, the more you hear things, and especially the way that people react to certain things, especially when you are like a, a a bigger band. I think that like you could see uh, the effect of the fans liking your song being a really positive thing or a super annoying thing. Like, man, I don't want to play that song. I don't like that the fans like this. Like between the Buried and me, they have their album Colors. They don't like playing it. They don't like yeah. playing that album because it, it, it got shoved. It was like, it was the thing that got them big. So they love it, but they don't want to do it anymore. They're different now. I know now why Hagen gave us the response that he gave us because he loves that <laughs> album. And I do love that album. Very lukewarm on it. it I mean, obviously the, the big example of that is Creep. Radiohead. Yes. Like, yeah. yeah. I tried to stray away song. from that. I wanted somebody else to say it. Nailed it. No, but that, that's a good example of that though. We're like, They've obviously yeah. picked their favorite songs, and it doesn't include Creep, so. Yeah. Here, I got a, uh, here's a good one. Uh, this is a Gallagher Brothers update. You guys ready for your Gallagher Brothers update? 
beep, 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 That's the little ticker tape. That sounded so weird coming through your phone. Hell yeah. There was like a super weird little like feedback that came with it on my end. It was really weird. Can't wait to edit it. So Noel Gallagher, if I'm not mistaken, he owns the majority music rights to oasis because he wrote a lot of the songs so he gets you know writing credit and all that kind of stuff so uh this week he released a previously unreleased oasis song that was recorded during a 2009 sound check uh which 2009 was their uh last tour uh if anybody listened to that episode um but and i didn't even write down what the song was called it it was a fine song it was basically just like guitar and vocals and it was noel gallagher singing it was officially released by oasis so that's really funny to me and liam responded so like the sleeping like a bunch of z's (laughs) because he's not on it 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 seems like he's been trying to like make amends so it's funny that he did that yeah, he invited him to his wet. Uh, he invited Noel to his wedding. So I thought that exact thing, Dave. Whenever I saw that, I guess I was like, "Well, I guess he's definitely not fucking coming to the wedding if there was any chance." <laughs> At least Liam's realistic. I just thought that was funny, so I would, I would update you guys uh, because I really mean it. That can be like a pastime for everyone to just occasionally, like once a month, just type in liam and or noel gallagher and like just update yourself because it's just hilarious it's like my version of the kardashians i think you now have started this segment on the show where once a month you have to do a gallagher update and you have to do that too yeah oh uh, that's not an issue for me because right. I, I, like that it involves no work on my end because i already do it this is like yeah um, it's your favorite pastime right yeah yeah, and if there's no sure. news, you could do, like, Gallagher trivia. Yeah. Um, here, Here's a... Um... <laughs> okay. Fuck you, then. you can also just say no. So, to be honest, that reaction was me reading the next news headline and just, like, autopilot response. So, I'm sorry, Dave. That was so good. Hurt so That's good. A little peek behind the curtain for you I'm glad i'm the person who edits this i'll make myself look real good uh so this one's for you dave uh only fans responded to beyonce's verse on megan the stallion's song savage did you all see that no so uh i, I don't know the exact why is that for dave what because you posted that picture in the group text yeah remember yeah, dave, okay. we made the joke about dave having creating an OnlyFans. And, and we I, told your mom to look up OnlyFans, hey. No, do not look that up. Thank you. Uh I I mean I remember I remember making his OnlyFans URL on the kitchen uh fridge magnets, but uh Yeah. That's the whole thing. That's where the whole okay. joke came. Okay. All right. From. Now I'm caught up. I'm caught up. All right. So uh they responded. I don't I don't know the uh lyric, but I did read it at one point, but she just mentioned something like saying like, "Oh, TikTok I might even make an OnlyFans. Beyonce said that. And then OnlyFans just responded, yeah, we uh, we totally accept that. Everyone's welcome to uh, create their own, uh, you know, online culture and cultivate their own fan base using this. So uh, good on uh, OnlyFans. 
nothing to talk about right there um <laughs> so wait before we, before we move before we move on i'm seeing that uh complex just posted that only sees a 15 percent spike in traffic following beyonce's reference hell yeah <laughs> so yeah they're all about it that's you know uh, just more examples of beyonce's philanthropy so good on her <laughs> um, <laughs> so here's a uh you know um yeah, I'll just fucking say it. So South by Southwest, the big uh, multimedia festival uh, that was canceled for the first time this year, uh, is facing a class action lawsuit over its ticket refunds. Uh, apparently, a lot of people are um, not getting their refunds. Uh, so that's interesting to see. Uh, I, I have seen that, uh, like the whole um, kind of the notion that there is a possibility that when South by Southwest comes back, assume assumingly next year uh that they will come back in a different fashion because of the financial hit that they took because there really wasn't uh you know kind of an in-between for them it was all or nothing and they got nothing so yeah was it did that have anything to do with live nation i have no clue i don't think so because i think that they south by southwest i I mean in most festivals handle all their tickets usually on their own yeah, and I think the biggest thing for them was that they didn't have any kind of insurance to help them on this. So they're out all that money they'd already spent, and they don't have any money to refund people. So that's why they're, like, dragging their feet and trying to say, like, you can just transfer it to a ticket next year. It'll be fine, guys. And then, you know, obviously, obviously, what if next year doesn't happen? So, right. Yeah, th- there's a big rumor, and I, I don't know if it's founded or not, but uh, that, you know, it, South by Southwest may be done because of this because they're taking such a financial hit i i personally doubt that'll be the case i think worst case scenario they'll come back in like a couple years once they've uh recouped the funds that kind of stuff but and i think there was a whole thing when whenever they announced that they were canceling it was like i think two weeks before the festival was scheduled or something to start and uh the rumors were why it took them to do that uh because they had so many people dropping off uh, the rumor why it took them that long was something to do with the insurance that if they canceled like too far in advance that they wouldn't get the full uh, insurance claim type thing and so they were just waiting I don't know how true that is though um, so I got one more uh, piece of news and this will kind of lead us into our topic for the day uh, that the new the Newport Folk and Jazz Festival has canceled its 2020 edition uh, this is just you know another uh example of things postponing slash canceling it seems like a lot of things are mainly postponing but uh this one uh it uh announced that it was canceling today i think this is the first time that it's uh canceled since it's beginning its roots in 1959 so uh there's that i mean at least they didn't miss their uh what would that be their 60th edition last year Yeah. yeah so at least that's that um but uh, the reason why that leads us into our topic for the day is uh, we decided we were going to talk about uh, music festivals, um, specifically music festivals, and uh, just kind of touch upon uh, kind of the history of music festivals, what they used to be, what they are now, and then kind of some of the ideas behind it, what makes it possible. And we have a couple of topics to talk about on that. So uh, uh, I listed out some popular music festivals nowadays uh, because it seems like uh there is a music festival everywhere 
well, no matter how small or how large, but some of the big examples that most people would know are Lollapalooza, Coachella, Austin City Limits, which is a little closer to home uh, for us, and then Bonnaroo, Burning Man, South by Southwest, which does have a significant music portion, among other things, uh, Glastonbury, Reading, etc. You could go on for days with these massive festivals. You could have uh, some of the more massive ones, but are just a little bit lower than you know Coachella and Lollapalooza, like Rock and Rio. But like as I said, I could go on forever with those. So uh, why why do you think so many like cities and and places want to throw their own music festival because it it just it just seems like it's an odd choice to make, right? I mean, in my head, I think that you know throwing a music festival sounds fun, but what's the benefit to it? Why do you think so many places want to do their own version of it? I would say I would say it's probably tourism. They get a lot more attraction to the city, and people are exploring local businesses more often when you have those big attractions come to town. I know for me, I went to the Gentleman of the Road festival with my fiance a couple of years back in Oklahoma. It was in Guthrie, Oklahoma. That is the only way I would have ever been to Guthrie, Oklahoma. And they had like that festival let a local brewery brew like make their own special beer for the festival and they made all the money from that. And like local businesses could supply things that would boost their economy so that some of those places could stay open. So it really helped the economy there. Yeah, and I also think think back to Hagen when you and I went to uh, Austin City Limits. Um, think about external to the music festival what you and I did. Every single night after the show, you and I went out to a different bar uh, area and hung out with some of your friends in Austin. So like that is a prime example of what they are hoping. Obviously, the city makes money uh, off of the festival itself, but then they also make money off of everything external to that. Uh, the local businesses do and there's just you know it cultivates uh, a lot of tax revenue and all that kind of stuff for the city Uh, so I mean and then outside of that it's just once again I mean like you want yeah I mean you and I just that's my best example really is you and I did that outside of the 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 money thing uh, it, it also just like puts that city on the map like austin is the city it is as the music capital of the world quote unquote because of stuff by stuff like south by and acl so yeah for a lot of people i i i asked the question solely just to to sort of you know make everybody think about what what the reason could be to throw a music festival but i think that like i mean looking at the south by southwest numbers they see an influx of people in austin in the millions they see that many people coming to Austin for those two weeks. I mean, it's a film and music festival. They have a gaming expo, et cetera. They have so many things. But they see that massive influx of people just in those two weeks. And that, I mean, like you said, it boosts the economy. It does all these things. And it lasts for such a long period of time. Yeah. Uh, but like you just mentioned earlier about South By, if something goes wrong, that's a pure loss. That's nothing but loss. And also, there's a good point, too. There are festivals like uh, Bonnaroo, which are, like Dave was saying, that are kind of in the middle of nowhere. And most festivals like that have an option for you to camp out there and stay there the whole time. So, of course, the city is still making, you know, 
money off of that festival, but not so much as something like South by Southwest. So there are examples of like, okay, the festival kind of wants you to stay on the festival grounds. Uh, you know, you can leave if you want, but that's really not the thing. Like even I've never been to Coachella, but uh, I'm pretty sure Coachella is like pretty much in the middle of nowhere, California. Like it's not right next to LA. It's not right yeah, it's next in the to desert, San right? Fran. Yeah, it's in yeah. the desert. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's like two hours away from any city or anything like that. So people still go to that, but I mean, like most people aren't going to be driving to LA after Coachella, probably unless they have a single day ticket, that kind of thing. So uh, I do want to mention a little bit of history. Uh, a lot of what I I'm going to be talking about uh, stems from a Time article that I read uh, from 2019, um, just talking about music festivals so uh we'll probably link to that but it's a really interesting article actually um so modern modern music festivals can be traced back to woodstock in 1969 which was 50 years ago from last year uh and uh while it wasn't the first uh music um festival it definitely was the most important on many levels um i mean even the newport uh folk and jazz concert or festival was in 1959 was its first edition. So there were plenty of festivals that predated it. And apparently the origins of music festivals themselves can date back to ancient Greece when they would have things like, um, you know, uh, the Olympics and stuff like that. They had entertainment on the side uh, outside of the sporting and all that kind of stuff. So I I thought that was pretty interesting. I don't have much uh, facts on that, but I thought it was pretty cool to think that like, Oh, just imagine because the original olympics was like all men butt ass naked just imagine like you had just watched uh, the butt ass naked uh half mile race whatever the fuck that's called and then you're like all right i'm gonna go listen to fucking loot guy now uh, i heard he's great <laughs> it's like like oh, okay so our day today is gonna be um the butt ass naked half mile run and then loot guy we're gonna go see fiddle guy and <laughs> there's a there's a one-armed monkey and uh russia is still not allowed in this year yeah <laughs> <laughs> maybe next year um but yeah so uh talking about woodstock and stuff like that um you there was kind of the original idea of a music festival was kind of a communion of culture. And what I mean by that was like like genres, like minds. When you look at Woodstock, you don't see the original Woodstock uh, in 1969. A lot of those musicians are like very like-minded. You had like folk and like rock music, which were very much in the same uh, vein at that time. Uh, So there was a lot of these like, you know, and we have those still to these days. But when you look at a modern music festival, it does seem like it is the coordinators tried to paint the broadest stroke they could because it's like, all right, well, we're going to have Billie Eilish, but we're also going to have Queens of the Stone Age, which are, you know, kind of different people in a lot of ways. And they draw different fans, but they're trying to get everyone. Whereas, uh, you know, at those original festivals, that kind of wasn't the idea. Um, I don't think I've personally ever been to a festival that is like genre oriented. Um, I- I've been to metal festivals, so that's that's the closest thing that that's the closest thing that like I think still exists really like in a popular way of I mean I guess there are some pop like quote unquote festivals, but they're not 
they still they still will will bring in people that don't necessarily just fit in that pop genre. Whereas like metal festivals are like, hey, these are a, just literally all metal bands. Now they they yeah. fit in a bunch of different like metal subgenres, but we talked about that before, and it sucks. I, I think another thing is like like EDM festivals. Oh, that that too. Yeah, that's very true. Because they're they're massive. I can speak confidently for the four of us that I don't think that is in any of our our wheelhouses. No. Like, none of us are into that kind of music, so we just can't really speak to that kind of thing. So, sorry about that. And Hagen, uh, boy, every metal show feels like a fucking metal festival, if you know what I'm saying. (laughs) Every fucking metal show I've been to is like, hey, dude, we got, like, fucking eight openers, and then we're going to play a two-hour set. It's like, dude, fuck me dead. Yeah. I mean, like, I think that it, it... I, I don't know where that comes from, but it really does feel like that. But they have, like, the, the big metal festival tours, like Mayhem Festival. And uh, Megadeth had theirs called Gigantor. That was, like, their kind I of... I forgot about that. Yeah. And so, like, they, everybody has their own. There was OzFest. Um, well, and you guys uh, went fest. to that... Uh, yeah. Yeah. You guys went to that uh, Dave Grohl, or Foo Fighters-led one. That's kind of genre-oriented, I would say. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. a rock festival. Yeah, what was that called? Cal Jam. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that one, and, and again, that was another one of the ones where it was like not directly in a city. There were campout options. Uh, yeah, and it, it was, was far enough away that you weren't going to hang out in the local economy later. Like, yeah, yeah. it was. It was definitely a very. Uh, it it was a really cool and different festival. Um, but it was it, it offered the camping option, but it also if you camped, you probably got to hang out with Dave Grohl because he was like cooking hot dogs for everybody who was camping. Yeah, walking around with his secret whiskey stash. Yep, yep. So for uh, those of us who have been to uh, genre-specific festivals and stuff like that, um, what would you, like, which one do you prefer? Because in my opinion, and this is coming from someone who hasn't been to a genre-specific festival, if I were to go to a, uh, you know, a rock festival or something like that, let's say just a rock festival, I think I would... Maybe about mid, or let's say it's a three-day festival. I would say about probably halfway through the second day, I would get a little tired of rock music in the sense that, like, oh, you know, I went to a festival once in Austin to see Coheed and Cambria, and I saw all these great metal bands and punk bands, but then I also saw the, you know, kind of, like, pop act uh, churches, and then I saw uh, Peaches, and it was just, like, I saw Wu-Tang Clan. I saw Neon Indian. So it was, like, it was this nice, uh, you know, coloring board of like all these different styles of music that just kind of kept me going through the uh weekend so like which one do you guys prefer i think that um i really like i I, it's hard for me to say which one i prefer i want to say that it's the multiple genre one but at the end of the day um i'm always tired halfway through a music festival i'm always super duper tired no matter what the situation is right so you're because when you go to a festival you show up as early as you want to which is usually pretty early and then you start hopping from stage to stage and so if it's all metal then i'm fucking done with metal by the by the time halfway point hits i want to but i can usually find a break with bands i don't like and then i can go back and listen to more metal but same thing would happen like at acl we went to acl like we we definitely would like see a large variety of music but we'd be like fuck we need to like take a break we need to get some food we need to sit down like drink some water and this is the time because i don't care about this band and then andrew bird's on in like 40 minutes so that we can get over there so i think i i want to say genre like not genre specific festivals but at the end of the day it i'm tired so who knows no matter what 
No, yeah. When, when uh, to not to get off the topic, but like when we were at that Gentleman of the Road Festival, we wanted to see um, Mumford and Sons. That was they were like the headliner at the end of the second day, and we stood in the same spot because we wanted to get a good spot close to the stage for I think it was like eleven hours. Because if you left, you lost your spot, and there was thirty or forty thousand people there. So it was like, we don't want to go. We're standing in the sun in Oklahoma. It's like one hundred and ten degrees. People are like, handing out water to everybody. Like we had like our own little community there, but it was grueling. The cool yeah. thing was, is by the time Mumford and Sons played, we had so much energy because, it was like finally the thing we wanted, the thing that we're here for, is actually happening, and it was really really cool. For sure. I mean, so and that brings up a good point uh, that there are music festivals that span the uh, course of the year. There are some, you know, in winter, fall, and all that kind of stuff. But festival seasons, festival season as we know it today in modern culture is summer. Summer festivals is what we're talking about. And like, and also when I say that, you got to remember that different hemispheres of the world have different summers so you know it does go around uh the year but when we're talking about these massive festivals like coachella austin city i think austin city limits is actually typically uh towards the beginning of october end of september and it still no matter what because we're in fucking texas it is a ball burner it is so hot i mean and you just like you get exhausted but that does bring that uh idea of you know like you know there's really no avoiding it you're just going to be standing out in the sun and any shade there is it's like if you've ever seen uh like uh you know indigenous animals in africa uh, in the middle of like just the savannah or something and then there's one tree they're all like a community under the shade of that tree that's what a music festival feels like especially in fucking texas but that's Dude, they, everywhere they, i know we were in oklahoma it was still like just as hot and they had uh, a fire hose that they were just like letting people run through yeah did Jesus. you guys ever do you guys ever go to warp tour because they no. had like because they they so like they would run sprinkler systems and people would just sprint through that all day because i mean that that's that that happens in the summer so it hits texas usually in june or july and it's all outside and i mean they people were were like getting heat stroke all like every single year it was crazy that it was such a dangerous festival because you're moshing you're running around and they're really, you're I mean, probably drinking. You're probably drinking either alcohol or it's sponsored by a fucking energy drink company. So you're not drinking water. You're drinking energy drinks and alcohol. And that's it. Yeah. So I, and that, I don't want to get off the topic of uh warp tour, but I mean that when we're talking about these summer festivals, when you look at, that's why when you look at a, um, a, a tour there's so many more summer tours as opposed to winter tours because it is just financially literate for a, a musician to base all their uh gigs off of uh the you know big summer tours so that's why you see that kind of stuff and you know if you look at a route you can trace it uh but getting back to uh the warp tour thing that brings up an interesting concept that you don't really see around too much anymore, uh, but uh, a couple examples of it, of uh, traveling um, f- music festivals. So you have Warp Tour, which is probably the one of the bigger ones. Uh, Lollapalooza used to have an edition of it, but I don't think that they do Gentlemen that. Gentlemen of the Road, yeah. they, they travel around. Knotfest is now doing that. So there's all different types. Uh, Gigantor did it. 
there were so many. The Honda, no, 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 not the Honda Civic Tour. I don't know what the fuck I was talking about. <laughs> but, you know, that's an interesting concept, uh, you know, a touring uh, festival because the logistics of a festival just already is a fucking nightmare. So I can't imagine touring that kind of thing when you have 30 acts in one day. I mean, you're essentially building a little city for yep. a weekend or two weekends. Yeah. And so that, that brings up the good point of, so the logistics of a singular festival, not even talking about touring ones, but building a small city, what does that take? And what are the economics of creating a festival? Uh, so you have to have food options. Uh, you have to have the correct permitting. You obviously have to have the space. You need to work within the guidelines of like, most of these festivals are outdoors, so you got to work in, within the sound limits if you're close enough to, uh, you know, residential area. Uh, we mentioned restrooms. Uh, how do people get in and out? Can a city handle that kind of influx of people? Uh, so, and then the big one that no one seems to think about is the trash. Think of all the trash. Uh, I think in the video I sent you guys, uh, there was a number just talking about how many tons of trash just one like Coachella would make. And it's, it's, it's staggering amount and it's trash that otherwise that same amount of people, if you put them in their regular dwelling, their homes would not be creating. So there is that kind of side of it. Uh, right. Yeah. It's just, there is a whole thing. And the, you know, there are tons of interviews with these festival organizers, organizers and stuff like that. And, um, the biggest thing that they seem terrified of is weather. I've been to, uh, the first time I went to Austin city limits, I was going to see Adams for peace, which is, uh, was one of Tom York's, uh, solo things and our super group, but they hated calling it that. But I went to see them specifically on Sunday, went to the whole festival, Friday, Saturday, Sunday got rained out. It was the first time ever it got rained out. So I miss Lionel Richie, Adams for Peace, The National, Phoenix, all these great bands. Uh, Tame Impala was there when they weren't big. Uh, it was just like all these bands. But they I... still sucked. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but like that's all it takes is rain. Uh, I, I saw this interview of this dude and he said, yeah, I've got about seven different uh, weather apps on my phone. I have friends in high places within uh the weather community who specifically text me every hour on the hour during a music festival telling me what the weather is looking like what we can expect all that kind of stuff so was that, i think was that for the oceaga one i think so yeah. yeah yeah the festival in canada yeah it's just Represent. crazy so um personally I never knew, you know, you see these staggering uh, numbers of like, oh, you have 40,000 people coming in or however many people, but I, I really can't put that to a dollar amount because we're looking at like now, I think uh, an average festival, three-day festival ticket can, you know, start around 250 and depending on what type of festival you're going to, it can jump up pretty quick. Um, but so Coachella actually has the record right now. Um, and so I just figured I'd throw this in there so everyone can know it. Uh, Coachella grossed $114.6 million in 2017, setting the record for the first recurring uh, festival franchise to earn more than $100 million. So that is the threshold is like $100 million 
and below seems like what an, a typical successful festival makes, which I don't know. To me personally, thinking about all that kind of stuff doesn't seem like a lot. Yeah, that doesn't no. seem like it's worth <clears throat> the investment, especially for that one being in the middle of nowhere, basically. Like, the logistics of that are got to be worse than other festivals. And I would argue that of all the festivals that I'm aware of, I think Coachella is probably the biggest festival. It is it's, one of the most, most well-known brands out there. Yeah, at least in the United States, it's the second biggest. Uh, Summerfest is bigger, yeah. but also goes on for yeah. like twice as long. T- twice as long, I think. So, but especially considering that the people that are, you know, the owners and the the main promoters and stuff like that, the people that are running the festival, uh, just even being at some of the festivals around here, they don't get time to really enjoy the festival itself. And yeah. they a, a lot of times, especially in those videos that you sent, it's like they spend an entire year figuring out logistics and planning everything and it's not easy work and then it happens in two weekends and then they get right back to planning it again yeah that's a great point because uh, a lot of these festivals are based around experiential uh economy which is you know um you know just imagine uh you know everyone you're working towards this common goal and you're busting your ass but it, it is such it's such a short time frame and i think uh Adam and Hagen and I can talk about this uh, on our, you know, like we both, we've all had experiences uh, throwing shows or helping book shows. And it's just like, it is more than like even a local show at a dive bar, you know, which, you know, is typically like four hours. Like there's a lot of like lead up to that. Like you obviously are practicing and all that kind of stuff, but booking bands, making sure everybody's going to get paid, all that kind of stuff and promoting it. It's just like, it is not, you know the way we see it in uh the you know festival uh time frame is that like oh it occurs um you know during summer no this is like a year-round job for these people especially something at south by southwest level like that is a never-ending job um but for south by real quick since we keep mentioning it i think we think it's bigger than it is it's not even in the top 15 biggest festivals in the u.s which seems crazy when you think about having been to south by and see how big it is so that's yeah. like a whole think, other scale insane. that these places are dealing with too that we don't even see. But I think once you get to a certain like level of festival, you're not really doing it in a city like South by is. Yeah. So that yeah, influx of people that Jackson limited. was mentioning earlier, it's like they all of a sudden have what'd you say, like a million people? Yeah, it's somewhere on a million people that, that, that come to Austin for South by. Man, I know people that live in that city and every year when it happens they're like I, I cannot wait until this is over. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it does yeah. a lot of damage to the city in that regard, but, I mean, it makes them so much fucking money so the city doesn't really care about it. Uh, but it's it's one of those things where, I, I mean, like, I, I think that South By ends up not being probably one of the biggest festivals in the world, probably because it isn't a city and you don't actually have to be going to the festival to be there, right? Like, right. we've yeah, been to South whole By. week when... Yeah. yeah, but we've but we've been to South by, but we never bought a fucking ticket. We never actually yeah. Yeah. purchased a thing to be at South by Southwest. We played unofficial showcases because South by is so big that and it's in a city where you can just go. Okay, every venue is going to be involved, even if we're not actually involved. And so it. So what's a really weird thing about that is there uh, with South by, and I only know one one other festival that's like this. South by has its like actual like 
you know, the actual festival, but South by has spurred its own unofficial festival underneath it, which people just call unofficial South exactly. by, which, you know, bands from all around the world play that kind of stuff uh, or play those shows. And like on top of that, the only other festival I know that is like this, and you guys may not have known this, but uh, Burning Man actually is not like a... Uh, something like that like there aren't like centralized acts that go uh, play burning man and stuff like that it is actually a culture like there are people who organize it to make sure that the space is available but uh burning man is actually just something that you know uh occurs and there's a uh, community an actual community that just organizes the whole thing which when i found that out like my mind was fucking blown i i, I learned that on an episode of queer eye of all places crazy but i mean you think about it i mean like does that festival have the intent of like making money or bringing in tourism or whatever? I mean, they, that, that festival comes from a different place of intent where they don't need to have like, I mean, it's always nice to have other people. That's not just the community building it up. But when you're just trying to put on a festival for fun, you don't need to have the other side of it. You know, are there, are there bands that play at burning man? I think so, but it's not like the, like, yeah, there's not any like schedule or anything. There's not an official, anything really because the whole idea is people just show up in the desert and build a city for a week or however long it is yeah yep. and, it, and it's like way far out in the middle of nowhere like it, it takes like a couple like hours to get out there from the nearest place with an airport so and they build a temporary airport during the event for people to fly in who are like going to be performing or something or whatever holy shit so, Wow. So I really didn't know yeah. much about uh, Burning Man prior to this episode of Queer Eye, and they that was a the, that was a great episode, by the way. Yeah, and the guy that they were doing, I think they called them heroes. Uh, the guy that they were uh, doing, he uh, basically was uh, he was going to be moving to where uh, Burning Man is because he went every year, and he's like, I don't live near it, so I just want to be near it. And so I actually uh, learned a lot from that episode, and then I looked up looked it up later, and. It's just crazy. There's all this stuff because all I know about Burning Man is what all of us know about Burning Man, which is the big bonfire. Uh, but it's super interesting. It, it they uh, strive to be like a net zero. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of like a uh, you know waste net zero waste. They try to not leave any trash out there and they try to you know it's a whole barter culture and all that kind of stuff. It's super fascinating and. Uh, yeah, if you don't know anything about it, I'm sure there's plenty of like YouTube documentaries and stuff like that, but uh, super fascinating. Um, so uh, to touch back on what I was talking about with this experiential economy, uh, so talking about like music festivals have gotten huge nowadays, uh, and it really feels like everywhere you are, especially in the major cities, like you can throw a rock and you find a music festival, no matter how small or how large. In Dallas, it's true. Chicago, it's true. It's true everywhere. Um, so, and a, a big driving force, uh, that is behind that is this experiential economy. Uh, so what I mean by that, uh, is that 57% of a Deloitte survey of millennials told, uh, told that said, sorry, said that they, uh, prioritized travel and seeing the world over owning a home. So that's what I mean by experiential uh, economy is that there is a shift from like okay property owning i want to experience something because they get a bigger high they get more uh fulfillment out of like oh i'm traveling or i'm going to coachella over okay well 
I have a really nice car, that kind of thing. And neither is right nor wrong, but there is, as you see, as I said, 57% of millennials are uh, of the agreement that that's what uh, they would prefer. So uh, then going back to what I was talking about um, with the uh, finance, like the economics of it, I never understood... uh, you know, what it looks like to be an artist. Obviously, these huge acts like Beyonce and Radiohead are getting paid, like, a fuck ton of money. money. But I, I found out in that Time article that I read, it's an easier, more reliable way for artists to make money compared to a standard show. And what I mean by that is uh, the example they used as the 90s band The Offspring. Uh, they, uh, 15 of their 20-date tour... Uh, in 2019 were festival dates and their manager explained the reason why that is is because it's easier for them to fly out to a uh, festival get paid six figures play their show and then fly home and if you do that 15 times you're set and so you know whereas on a standard show if they're playing whatever size venue it is they have to they have to pull they have to pull like it is very much like on a show like that the venue also has a responsibility to pull stuff but festivals like it's basically on the organizers to pull in people it's really not on the musicians it seems like so uh it that that's interesting so that's that's when you're at you know the the offspring for as the example when you're at their level it makes more sense the the thing that happens also though is that you get these artists that are on the rise that get chosen, they get asked to play these massive festivals and they might make four figures or five figures where they're getting $40,000. I think Cardi B was an example where that's she the got, example. Yeah. She got paid $40,000 to, to play the festival, but she ended up spending like hundreds of thousands of dollars for her stage production. So this is actually super fascinating. What Dave's referring to is called, green artists it's uh the goal of an organizer yeah green bananas so what they're uh trying to uh an organizer's responsibility is like they get the high ticket uh uh people to pull them in but then you also have to buy these cheaper artists to fill out round out the bill but you want to try and get people who are going to be big in eight months time whenever the show is happening so that example dave was talking about uh cardi b uh, when she was uh, coming up, she was labeled as a, a green banana. And so she got uh, booked to play both weekends of Coachella, and she got paid $70,000 each. By the time she got to that time, uh, time to play Coachella, she was massive, and she was spending $400,000. She had to spend $400,000 on her uh, stage setup and the crew and everything like that. So she ended up losing a fuck ton of money from that uh and she even talks about it and she goes and this isn't something like oh the label is paying it she was like this is coming from my bank account at that point she's like i was big enough went to went to wells fargo to write a check for four hundred thousand dollars crazy yeah i mean i whenever whenever i saw that in the video i i definitely was very shocked by it but it also brought me back to going to acl and seeing some of these smaller bands that i guess they would consider green bananas and going 
that stage setup is nothing. Like I remember thinking, like they just are. This just this is just a band on stage. Now it's easier as a band to just be a band on stage, right? Like in that video, they also interviewed those those DJs, right? And how they traveled, and it's easier for them to travel. But I also in that, I also thought to myself, like it is easier for you two to travel, but your stage setup is still fucking crazy. I'm sure. I'm sure you have some I shit on stage. You. I guarantee you at those EDM festivals like that, and I don't know this because I don't go to them, I think the setup is pretty much stock unless you are the massive app. Yeah, that's fair. So, like, they have all these LED screens. They might build the setup around the headlining act, and everybody just uses the same thing yeah. for the yeah. for the whole, you know, festival itself. But, yeah. but it... So, like, you can, like, those DJs are like, I've got my MacBook, where do I play? Yeah, exactly. But I think I think that as a smaller band, it's easier to just go. Okay, I'm on stage with my gear. Let's go. Like I don't. We don't need to have anything else about this. Like it doesn't need to be anything crazy unless you're a really really big band who can do it, because the band already has to deal with their gear. So that's enough. Yeah, of course. And the Cardi B example is just it's fascinating. It is. But also when you're talking about somebody who she is a glorified pop star now, uh, imagine going uh, like being a fan of her a general pop fan and that may be the one show that year you are going to go to and you see cardi b and she just has a banner behind her and a dj (laughs) like you would feel really ripped off and there would be a large crowd just talking shit of like oh so there is definitely an image that kind of thing uh it it is like a business thing though like don't spend four hundred thousand dollars that you don't have on something that you're not going to make money on either if there's like you know not a good reason to so, I mean, I don't know what she yeah. had to spend for her stage setup for that, but it seems like that was probably not a great idea. But that's going to be, she's going to use that for the rest of her tour. Or, that's like, true. you know, yeah. use and reuse things. The, the But the weird thing is when you see, you know, if you look at someone on stage and they have a $400,000 setup, all of us would probably safely assume that that artist is going to make anywhere from, you know, they're probably going to make, like, $100,000 or maybe even a million dollars and anywhere in that range, and then it's like... You spend four hundred thousand, and Cardi B is only making one hundred and forty thousand. Right. Yeah. Can you That's imagine? Can you imagine? I would be on stage, like, why? Why the fuck am I here? What am I doing? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, I haven't I can't really imagine that. I haven't ever like done the you know some bands pay to play, and like I I don't think I've ever done that, you know, and I couldn't imagine enjoying being on stage and being like I paid two hundred and eighty five thousand dollars. <laughs> to play this festival yeah yeah like what's the penalty especially, to not play yeah especially because she's not going to be turning around record sales being at this festival because people aren't yeah. buying music anymore no but what they but there there is a lot of merch sales at festivals though the merch sales at festivals yeah. are pretty fucking crazy i mean like i i especially for like the bigger acts and and as like this whole story is she was exploding at the time right so i'm sure there were merch sales i'm not saying there were two hundred eighty-five thousand dollars in merch sales who can i mean who can never be sure but uh i do i do i i do think that like it's crazy i mean how much how much fucking foo fighters merch did we buy at cal jam dude yeah i was gonna say does the festival take a cut of that because that wasn't a problem for dave grohl with you know right their own festival but I feel like that I doubt, would be a I doubt Dave Grohl was taking a cut of other bands' merch. Right. Yeah. Right. But I'm thinking but that maybe like at big, Coachella, maybe they are taking a cut. Yeah. You know, which is is going to eat into how much money you can make too, even if there is a lot of money to be made there. Because yeah, at the the Foo Fighters one, there was they were selling like hundred and fifty dollar posters and shit. Like they were selling everything you could think of. So yeah. 
So um, here's a good point that we haven't brought up. Um, there is something that, you know, Hagen, Dave, and I are aware of, uh, but a lot of people may not be aware of. Uh, but these festivals have something that's called a radius clause. Uh, and uh, if you don't know what a radius clause, it is essentially they're all a bit different, but these large festivals like Coachella will say, hey, you cannot for the rest of uh, you're playing a show and uh, you're playing Coachella 2019. You cannot play a single uh, North American or you can't play a United, uh, a fest, another festival this year in the United States if you play this show. Like you cannot play the show until you sign that radio clause. And there have been lawsuits on it, but I don't think any of them have come to anything. Like, they have gone, they basically get thrown out, and then the judge also said, like, you know, in when they threw it out, like, basically made it so other artists weren't able to put in a similar thing for different festivals. So uh, there is a big uh, issue with that because a radius clause, uh, Coachella's one, that one's a massive uh, radius clause. But there are some, like, if you're playing Austin City Limits, I don't know that they have one, but they could have something that says you cannot play within, you know, 200 miles of Austin uh, two weeks prior or two weeks after that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, but they, so, they don't have that. I don't think ACL has that because yeah. all of the, like so many of the bands that come through to play ACL, they do that as a stop on a tour they're on. And that's the thing that weirds me yeah. out about radius clauses. And I mean, I guess it, it, it is dependent on the radius, right? But uh, I mean, I think so many festivals you end up like passing through, right? You It's so rare that an artist is specifically flying to just play that festival, especially if you're in like the not massive range, right? If you're in the middle of the ground, like artist range, then you're definitely, you're probably traveling to get to that festival. Um, or yep. that's, or it's in the middle of your stop or whatever. Uh, but I, I think that radius clauses with festivals are just so like odd to me because you, I've, I've been in this situation personally, and I'm not going to say any names or anything like that, but I've been in a situation personally where I've been, I've had a gig booked like months in advance. And then I get asked to play a festival that is that same month. And they say to me, you cannot play any shows for the rest of like for that month. And I'm like, okay, well, sorry, I'm not breaking this commitment that I already made. I don't know what to tell you. Like uh, we can work something out. I, I cannot promote this show if that works for you. Um, but I'm still going to play this show because we made a commitment to play the show. So I don't really know what to tell you. Now I'm not in, in the larger, you know, festival or band situation. So I don't know what that looks like in terms of money, but from my experience, that sort of shit really like it, it irks me. It irks me in a way that's like, I'm trying to work, you know, and you're telling me to not except for you. And, and yeah, and you can understand the intention behind a radius clause where it might build more hype for the festival itself. But the other, on the other side of it too, if your lineup is good enough for the festival, like I'm not going to care if, you know, two of the bands that I want to see at Coachella, for example, played the night before, if I can go see 25 of my favorite bands at Coachella for a weekend. Right. Exactly. Right. It's a gamble. It's a gamble, it's a gamble on the artist side more than it's a gamble on the festival side because 100% it's like uh whenever the first time I went to go uh to Austin City Limits I noticed for the very first time like I was like oh shit all these bands that I'm about to go see are like playing in DFW in these like uh you know weeks leading up to and after uh 
So, and I was like, oh, you know, it'd be cool to go see Vampire Weekend. I was like, oh, but they're playing ACL, so I'm not going to pay for that. Because, exactly. like, okay, two week, two tickets to go see Vampire Weekend at the time would have cost me, like, 100 bucks. I already paid 250 bucks for a festival ticket. I'm not going to fucking do that. So, if anything, Vampire Weekend is losing out on my extra ticket revenue, and they chose to make that uh, decision. And I'm totally fine with that. And they obviously are the adults. And... It's a great point that Hagen made is like if somebody came up to me and told me, yeah, well, you can do this job that's going to pay really well and it's going to look really good on you, but you can't work for two months uh, after. I'd be like, dude, get fucked. Like, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we're I think the the bigger the radius clause, the more money the artist should be paid. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and. Radius clauses only seem fair if they're a big artist anyway, because they're getting paid a lot of money. If you're doing a radius clause on a small band, especially like a local band, then like that's really fucked up because they can't afford to not play other gigs. Yeah, you're all, and they yeah. can't afford to go somewhere else either to go play out of town or outside the radius clause or whatever it is. And they're basically saying they can guarantee you the crowd. And I'm not saying that they can or can't, but that's a really that that that's a huge thing for that festival to say. They're saying, Well, we're gonna pay you this amount and as a smaller band, it might not be a crazy amount of money. But we're also basically telling you that like you're gonna have a great crowd. Like that you're gonna accept this because you're gonna have an amazing crowd and a great time. And not every festival has that. And not every festival can guarantee that. So, it, like you said, it is a gamble the band has to take. They are the adults. They are, if they're willing to make that gamble, totally, that's fine. But I also think that it would be nice if festivals kind of thought about that a little bit more because radius clauses don't hurt the festival at all. Like They, they, don't, they don't really hurt them ever. I mean, and taking that into account, bands break them all the fucking time. Like, how many fucking bands go play a secret show after they've played the giant festival? Yeah. So, I mean, I've even heard reports of um, I've heard reports of like other bands like, you know, these big bands back in the day where they would have radius clauses that like I think it was Aerosmith was one of the examples I heard where they would go to a pub and put a different name on the marquee and play as as was it a pseudonym? Yeah. Where they would have a different name for their band and then play a show and it would still get a lot of traffic. Yeah. And so. I mean, this we could go on for days about radius clauses, but uh, I do w- want to wrap this up a little bit on my end of the festival discussion uh, that, you know, and I don't have numbers to back this up, but just from my personal view of what I s- I've seen in the world, and also in, there has been some speculation that the festival market is bound to burst. And the reason why they say that in quotations is everyone's doing it. When you look around, there are so many festivals all the time. And the little festivals aren't doing so well, so they can't stick around. But those little festivals are doing well enough to take away from the big festivals. And then it just it becomes this kind of snowball effect. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to try and start up a music festival, but there is that kind of idea. that, And I kind of feel like it looking at uh, the lineups nowadays and just kind of seeing how they're getting broader and broader, which just kind of, to me, says like, oh, they're trying to pull in more people, but maybe it's not working, that kind of stuff. Um, so, I mean, that's just speculation on my end, but I do think at some point, I don't think it's going to burst in the sense that like, oh, we're not going to have festivals anymore except for these massive ones. But I think, uh, you know, within the next five to 10 years, I think there would probably, there's probably going to be some significant uh, downsizing of the scope of festivals 
uh, especially in the U.S., that kind of thing. Yeah, we've already seen festivals the, the, go the thing away. Is, is I, already, I don't think right now I wouldn't say that festivals are stop in in our area. Yeah, and I don't think festivals are a particularly trendy thing, where it's like you know you don't I don't I know of maybe two or three people that were like let's start a festival. So maybe it will burst. I think the other thing that really bothers me about you know that kind of thing is is like when you go when you're going to one thing I would like to see change is when you're going to the so and so jazz and blues festival, and there's no jazz and blues it's all pop acts and you know your mainstream rock acts and stuff like that you ever have a dream that you um that you when you uh that you and he do you so good that you could do anything did i did i freeze oh big time uh-huh. oh yeah yeah <laughs> and you were Pretty stuttering bad. It it was like that video. Like we, yeah, we, we thought it was, was going to come back, but it, it didn't. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I have a question for everybody. Uh, I don't know if you're wrapping it up, Jackson, right now, but before you wrap it up, what is your favorite and least favorite festival you've been to, and why? I'll start. Uh, I think I... <laughs> I... I, I, I I, I was honestly just going to ask uh, favorite, and then I thought least favorite would be interesting. Maybe maybe uh, spill some tea a little bit, but I can't think of my least favorite festival. But uh, I can I, I can say that ACL is up there, and Oktopia is up there. I think Oktopia the last year it was in Denton was amazing, and uh, ACL when we went to ACL that was really really cool. Cal Jam was definitely high up there, but it was. I mean, I was there to see the Foo Fighters and Queens of the Stone Age, and it was super cool to see them. But I mean. I mean, I've been there, done that, so it it wasn't I, wasn't my favorite. Yeah, I would say that that time that like I would probably put my favorite music festival experience was probably that time you and I went to ACL. I think that it was just an all around good weekend. Uh, obviously, seeing Radiohead was amazing, and then uh, I think there was a good counterbalance of like I had a bunch of bands I wanted to see, and then you also had bands you wanted to see. So like. There really wasn't a dull moment, that kind of stuff. And I just saw a bunch of bands that I had been wanting to see, had a great time outside of the festival. Um, but uh, there was another time that I, I really, like, I don't want to say my least favorite <laughs> festival experience. I'm not gonna. Uh, I, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. I, I shouldn't have asked uh, it. It's okay. <laughs> um, but I just, um, there was another uh, festival I went to, uh, Fun 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 Fest, where uh, I thought that was the festival I just mentioned earlier, where I saw Coheed, Peaches, uh, Wu-Tang Clan, all these bands, uh, and I saw Anamanaguchi. I think that was probably the most well-spread-out festival I've ever seen. Uh, Eric Andre did a comedy set. I saw Andrew W.K. do a uh, motivational speech. I saw AJJ. I saw Venom at their very first U.S. show. Wow. Uh, and then, get this, so they had one of those, like, after the festival shows where if you had a wristband, you could get into all the concerts for free. And not only did I see Venom, which is, like, the band that is uh, hailed as starting black metal, uh, that uh, same, or no, like, it was the night before at the Mohawk in uh, Austin, um, uh mayhem was playing at one of the after festival shows and i just remember being 
at the festival and hearing all these people uh, say like, oh yeah, dude, I'm definitely going to see uh, or I'm going to see uh, Mayhem. Yeah, they're the band where the singer uh, killed the dude, and I was like, they were all saying different stories of what happened, but I was like, fuck yeah, this concert's gonna be great, and it was. It was really cool. They had it set up. They had a stage which was like the punk, uh, metal, and like prog stage. Then they had the kind of like, oh, here's like Peaches and all that kind of stuff, and like the. Wu-Tang would play here and then they had the pop stage and then they had the comedians and all that kind of stuff and it was fucking awesome. That's great. I would say both my favorite and least favorite festival experience was going to see Gentleman, like the Gentleman of the Road tour because there were a lot of really good bands so once we got settled in and we were watching the bands it was really really fun but a lot of stuff in between was actually really like kind of a pain in the butt. They didn't have enough you know toilets and stuff like that. I don't know if they were expecting that many people to show up. So there were aspects of that. Maybe I'm just saying like what I liked and didn't like about Gentleman on the Road, but I have very mixed memories of of some of those things. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, thinking back to to when we went to ACL, I mean, when we, when me and Jackson did, I mean, there that when we saw Radiohead, there was the fucking asshole behind us who was like, "What smoothie are you gonna have after this?" Like yelling next to us. It's like, go fuck yourself. Go just leave. Why are you here? Um, but I I, I think that. There's always going to be a negative, even if you love the festival, because people suck. There's always way too many people at festivals. I feel like festivals attract a lot of those people, too. I would like to revise what I was going to say about what my negative, uh, my most, my least favorite festival experience. That was it, Hagen. Uh, And... and that's just a specific instance, but there have been festivals where I've been to that where, you know, and that's my issue with these really broad festivals is you have Radiohead playing at the same time as you have uh, Major Lazer playing. And of course, when Major Lazer ends, they're going to, that crowd's going to come to Radiohead. And like, it just like, it, that kind of stuff, it sucks because like, that was a really profound experience for me. And then I have this fuckhead talking about a acai and shit like that. I'm like, <laughs> dude. No, not during nude. Not during nude. <laughs> I think I think one other thing that generally just just to say it real quick that bothers the hell out of me about festivals now is uh, how many phones people are holding up in the air. Oh yeah, and recording these videos. Yeah. If you go to a concert, public service announcement. If you go to a concert and you see a fucking camera crew recording the concert, put your phone away. <laughs> I would say even if you don't, thank you. Put your phone away. Like, take you, a short would, photo yeah. or a short video and take a, some photos. That's fine. But, like, don't record the whole thing to Snapchat where no one's going to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> We've talked about this, though. So. Yeah. Adam, no, what's I, your uh, I think experience? for me, like like Hagen said, Octopia's last year in Denton was really, really great. Um, and then Cal Jam was really cool because I hadn't seen uh, Foo Fighters at the time I saw them there. I had seen Queens of the Stone Age, but... It was basically like, you know, go to this thing, see a couple other bands, yeah, but mostly Seafood Fighters, and that was really great, so. Yeah, that, that Cal Jam was a very, very special one, and I don't know what it was about Octopia in the last year it was Denton, and it, it was in Denton, but it was like, it it just felt a lot better, it felt like there was a, a constantly good music, it was it was really fun. Yeah, it felt like they Wasn't there lots of out. rain on the... There was rain on the, the, on the Saturday night. The Saturday? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and we made it through that. Yep. Yeah, I I was setting up my my shit to play, and I got rained on while I was setting up. That was such an interesting year, though, uh, too, because it had both the characteristics of a 
uh, ragtag festival where, you know, you had a stage that was literally in a parking lot. Uh, that wasn't an actual stage. You just had speakers. And then you had like an actual professional setup for Nora Jones and yeah. stuff like that. So like that, that was really the best of both worlds is like, okay, cool. I get to go see a DIY uh, show and then I can go see fucking Nora Jones. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's wrap this shit up. Let's, what are we listening to? And then let's actually fuck off. Uh, one, one more thing about festivals because everything's getting, God damn it. <laughs> because everything's getting, uh, uh, postponed and whatnot. I'm now forgetting the city it's in. Um, but there's a city, uh, somewhere in Europe where they are doing drive-in, uh, concerts. And I, uh, I would love to see that turn into drive-in festivals. That sounds very interesting. Did you see the meme that said, oh, here's the uh, drive-in concert and here's the drive-in mosh pit and it had a, a bunch <laughs> of cars piled up? That's awesome. <laughs> Car rally. <laughs> That's great. That's so cool. Uh, what we're listening to time? Yeah, let's, let's do it. Uh, hey, listen. Wow, Kara, you fucking we're... need to stop smoking. <laughs> hey, listen. I know it's real rough right now, but goddamn, Tom Waits is not dead yet. <laughs> Jackson, take it away. Uh, I'm going to refrain from saying one of these in the hopes of not taking Hagen's. Um, so uh, two main things I've been listening to. Uh, Better Oblivion Community Center, which is uh, Connor Oberst and Phoebe Bridger's uh, project. I got uh, their uh, one and only record uh, on, you know, discount and been listening to that quite a bit i really enjoy it uh and then uh because i don't think hagan's gonna say it but i actually have been listening to it is samus david jr released a new ep <laughs> called intimacy the eldritch horror horrible name oh horrible horrible name big time horrible name that's uh that's another band that hagan plays in if you don't know that it, it's a really good ep so uh congrats hagan thank you congrats that's what I'm listening to. Uh, I've been listening to, I mentioned it before when I got to listen to it earlier, uh, but it just came out officially is the new Man Man album, Dream Hunting in the Valley of the In-Between, and it is so fucking good. I have listened to it like seven times this weekend. I can't, I can't stop. Um, it's unbelievable. Pitchfork gave it like an eight. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's such a good album. I mean, I love Man Man. Uh, they took a they took a seven year break between their last album and this one, and it it is well worth the wait. This is an incredible piece of music. Um, and then uh, I listened to uh, Fiona Apple's new album because everybody was talking about it, and I just had to hear it. And uh, I I've listened to it twice this week, and I'm really excited to just dive into it more. But it definitely needs that diving, right? It just needs. Don't say that, hey. Why? They may hear you. Oh, I guess. I like it. I'm not saying I don't like it. It just needs the time. It just needs, like, I really enjoyed it on my first two listens, but I just needed, I, I need to really put it in more so I can really, like, enjoy the whole thing. I got verbally abused this week for saying that I like Regina Spector more than I like Fiona Apple, and they're like, no, they're not the same. You can't say that. I was like, whoa. Uh, well, I'm going to go <laughs> fuck myself because I listened to that album, and I was like, man, this is like a little bit weirder Regina Spector. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, and yeah, no, and I'm not going to get into that, I, and I don't mean to, you know, offend anyone. I don't mean that, but 
I uh, immediately they're like, yeah, you're just trying to pit females against each other. I was like, no, 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 no. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying they are both singer songwriters with really sparse instrumentation on their music. And they are both piano players. And, like, and incredibly, that's all you need. incredibly peculiar voices. Both of their voices are yeah. very peculiar and individualistic. So that, that to me is enough to compare the two. Uh, and then one more thing is a metal band called uh, Seder. So I mentioned last week that I've been listening to Dance Gavin Dance's new album, and I've been I've been into it. But I saw a post that was like, if you're unsure about this album, you should listen to this album because it's better. Um, and it's an album called Locus, and it's really really cool. It's it definitely like draws that line of like prog metal, but it's also like kind of weird uh, like pop punky vocals. It's really good. Uh, I've been listening to. Uh started listening to Bright Eyes and in particular the album Digital Ash and a Digital Urn and it's it's really good I've, I've kind of I've known Bright Eyes from some like for some reason in a lot of skateboard videos in the mid mid to late 2000s they were using Bright Eyes for a lot of their songs for some reason so a couple of the songs I actually knew most of the words and I was like oh that's I should check this album out so I did another thing is that Man Man album I checked that out today, and it is unbelievable. I'm going to be putting a lot of time in on that. And I did listen to the new, the like some of the new Nine Inch Nails records. And I was in my car, and I was like, "There's no, there's no fucking way I'm going to listen to this whole thing because what is this?" <laughs> <laughs> did you say, Adam? Did you say it was for a movie or something like that? I'm pretty sure it's stuff they cut from a movie they were working on. Yeah. Oh my god, it's so boring. It, it it feels way more similar to their score like work that they've done. Yeah. And so it's weird that they released it as Nine Inch Nails. Yeah, is that gonna be like part of their discography? Like I mean it is back yeah. in there. It's... I mean the the ghosts like one through four were although those feel more like Nine Inch Nails than their new like how their scoring work is now. So it it is really weird to me that they released them under Nine Inch Nails, but I guess they didn't have a better place to put it, so I was blind. I was totally blindsided by it because I thought, okay, this is a 17-minute song. Like, and then I was like, three minutes in, I'm like, this is a long intro. Um, <laughs> and then I was like, wait a second. And I skimmed ahead like five minutes, and it was still the same kind of droney thing. And then I was like, okay, maybe this is just a long intro to the album because I was fully expecting a full Nine Inch Nails album. And then I switched to song two, and I was like, oh my god, what the hell? And it it was. The same thing, and then I went to the other album and Which is, started is, it again. Which is very different. So, it is very different, but it's very similar in that it doesn't sound like a Nine Inch Nails record. Yeah, yeah. So I was sitting in my car and I literally I cursed you in my car. I was like, "Fucking Adam." <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, that's I said how I it, start my car. I said it was like their uh, their score work. I didn't say it was like Nine Inch Nails. No, of course, but I all I could remember was that oh yeah, I should you know. What, what, what are we listening to? I should check out some of the right. stuff that the guys are talking about. I didn't remember that you said it was part of their score work, so I was totally like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I, I can't find it right now, but I there was a movie that they were supposed to score for Netflix, and then they suddenly dropped out of it and said, these guys are assholes, we're not doing this anymore. And then suddenly those <laughs> two albums came out, and it was like, oh, okay, well now we know what happened to all that work you put in. So It's yeah. weird, though, because like, the, the Watchmen soundtrack albums those sound way more like nine inch nails than this stuff does so it's weird how they choose to release things under different names and i've been listening to dawes (laughs) 
but but it's because my fiance the last like week or two she's been like I'm like hey what do you want to listen to when we cook dinner and she's like can we listen to Dawes Stockholm Syndrome <laughs> yeah like, how, how many weeks of listening to Dawes has this been uh, like two for her no I meant for you but it's it's like it's, oh. a, it's a short lifetime it's like 16 it's a, yeah weeks. it's a, it, uh, maybe close to a year well, I, I have not been listening to Dawes. Um, I've still been listening to Diner's uh, new album, which I really like. Uh, I just bought the record of it yesterday when Bandcamp had their, as we record this the other day, I guess, um, had their uh, fee list, I guess, day. I don't know how to describe it, but we talked about it last time. So I'm excited to get that in. And then uh, I don't have any new music I've been listening to. I haven't listened to Sam as David Jr.'s new album yet. Sorry, Hagen. Oh, yeah, that's also, yeah, that's really good. Where the fuck were you guys? I just said this. Well, I had to go. I had to. I was away for a second. Yeah, we Dave got up and walked away as soon as you mentioned it. So you guys are making me blush. <laughs> but I have been listening to a, a podcast I mentioned before, Congressional Dish. They did a or she did an episode about the CARES Act for the coronavirus stuff, which was really interesting to see how uh, local businesses are getting screwed, including musicians. So great, it's all good. Yeehaw. Feels great, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> Had to end on a real up, upper. What's up? Yeah. Hagen, do you want to get on your soapbox this week? Oh, I don't know. I mean, uh, I, I do I do want to uh, thank you guys for listening to the Samus David Jr. EP. That means a lot. Uh, and uh, I want to shout out everybody who worked on it since, we already, since we're talking about it. Uh, uh, Brat Cantrell has been on the show. He uh, recorded and mixed it. Um, Matt Young, I don't, he's never been on the show, but he's a great Denton drummer guy, amazing musician. He mastered it, um, which his mastering work is amazing. And then uh, my friend Aiden Earl did the artwork, and the artwork is absolutely phenomenal. The artwork is just, it's, it's so good. He did such an amazing job with it. Um, so, yeah, thanks for listening to that, you guys. I, that, that, that means a lot. Not Adam. I, I did buy it. I haven't listened to it. Yeah, yet. yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Which I guess on that note, I don't know if y'all saw, but Bandcamp had like eight million dollars in sales that day. It's a, that it was insane. Wow, that's feet. like that's double the the first time they did it. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah, and they're doing it like three more times in the next like two months. It's crazy. Yeah. So keep keep your eyes out on the Bandcamp shit, everybody. Go go buy some music from Bandcamp musicians. Yeah, support your friends. Yeah, I got no way to end this. So like. I don't know, guys. Festivals are fun unless they're not, and then they really suck. Goodbye. We'll see you next week.